Anyway, it's so good to be in the house of God this morning, and I'm gonna we're gonna continue in our series. We had a great Easter Sunday last last week, and uh, it was a phenomenal turnout, and and it's so wonderful to be with you and worship you worship with you at the resurrection of Jesus. But my encouragement and my my uh, co-teaching is simply to live a resurrected life, not just on Sunday morning because it's Easter, but every day because Jesus got out of the grave just that one time, and it was for all time and for eternity, and so we can celebrate and live a resurrected life because of that. Let's not let that be about uh, just the one day that it took place. But we're going to continue in our series. It's entitled Four Cups. Um, as some of you, many of you know, I, I began, I, st- I actually preached this series in a, in a very different capacity, in a different way, uh, several years ago, almost four years, four years ago, that, uh, that, but a lot has happened and changed over the four years, and I've brought a lot of different uh, study and freshness to this series, but really wanted to still highlight this message series because it's something that God had put on my heart. And so we began this process talking about this spiritual journey that we're on with Christ and, and how this entire series is based on the promises that we have in God. And we defined a promise in the first week as we talked about God's promises as an offer with a guaranteed result. And we, you know, we've mentioned several times you know, how many of you have been promised something or offered something where that promise has been broken and the, the, the result was anything but guaranteed. That's a part of life. It's a part. Of, I mean, I've broken promises. Um, I've had promises broken towards me. And, and this is a part of life in this journey. But with Christ, every promise that he has given us are all yes and amen. And he can't break a promise because the Bible even says that, that when God said, I am a God and I cannot lie. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he said it and spoke it as a promise, then it is, it is meant for you and for me. And this whole idea of these promises being forever is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. The Bible says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. That's the, that's the purpose and plan of every promise that God has ever given you is to be able to share in his divine nature, but also then to escape the difficulties, the struggles that the evil, the evil one would bring upon you in this world, in this fallen world that we live in. Every promise all through scripture can be found and, and, and they emulate those two things. I get to share in the divine nature of God and I can escape the world's corruption. So that was a lot of week one and part two of this series, we talked about how Jesus was the Passover lamb and we talked about the, the correlation of Passover as it related to the Old Testament and the children of Israel and all the way to Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. And then last week we started this, this journey through these four promises that I will read to you in scripture here in just a few moments. And we realized that the first step of this process was that God has to bring us out. You know, and so let's with that, we'll jump into these four core promises as they're found in Exodus chapter six, verse number six and seven. The Bible says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke 
of the Egyptians. The whole idea of being brought out is what we celebrated last week with the resurrection of Christ. And, and that was really the first process. And in the, in the original Passover in the Old Testament, what would happen is they would recite these four promises, each with a cup, and then passing the cup, and they would sip from that cup, meaning that they are actually, it's, it was emblematic of them to remember what God did for them as the, when he passed over them when he brought the plagues upon Israel, but also as a confession of faith to say, God, you will bring us out. No matter where I find myself, no matter what difficulty I find myself in, God, you will bring me out. And then they went on to, to the second cup, which is where we are today. And it, the Bible says in the second half, half of that verse, I will free you from being slaves to them. So there's this process when we, when we walk through our journey with Christ, you have to first be brought out. You know, that's that initial salvation experience. You're giving your life to Jesus. And at that moment, your spirit is made whole and you are in perfect peace with Christ in your spirit. But how many know that life doesn't just get easy from there? That things don't just get simple. They actually get, in most cases, a little bit more difficult there's a little bit more challenge that comes your way, whether it be externally from friends and family who begin to look at you and start to judge you and, and start to make certain assessments of you based on this newfound faith, or just the enemy himself bringing up, I don't know, sometimes our past, sometimes our insecurities and what we're not capable of. These are all things that, 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 that challenge us in this journey. And this idea of being brought out is not just a one-time thing. Yes, it happens one time, and that brings my spirit right with God. But then it's, there's this continuous journey that constantly being brought out. But the process doesn't just stop there. He says, I will free you from being slaves to them. See, there's this idea that there, we need freedom in our lives. The whole process is salvation, it's freedom, it's restoration, and it's fulfillment. There is an actual process that leads us in the next few weeks. We're going to uncover and unpack restoration and fulfillment. But for today, we're going to talk about freedom. It would be commonly referred to in Scripture and through the Old Testament with them as deliverance. There are some things that need to take place in our lives as we've come out of the journey that we had been in, the journey where we've been separated from God. There's some things that need to take place in our lives. And unfortunately, a lot of believers get stuck in the getting brought out and they don't ever make it to this place where they're seeking freedom from God. And so the title of this message today is very simply, The Egypt in Me. Why does that, why is that even a title, what, is, what does that even mean? Well, I'm going to share with you, if you know the history of the Israelites, and you know that they spent 400 years in bondage and slavery to the Egyptians, and, and how many know that when that happens to a people, something gets inside of them that they have to be delivered from? There's this angst that gets inside of them. There's this fear that gets inside of them. There's this struggle that gets inside of them that there needs to be deliverance as you walk through your faith. So you were a slave to sin. You were a slave to, to, to the sins and the bondage of the enemy. And that puts some things in you that as you walk through your life with Christ have to be brought out. And it's not pretty. It's oftentimes very ugly. It's very difficult 
but it's a necessary process if you truly want to experience the rest of this journey of restoration and ultimately fulfillment and find this journey with Christ that you're on to be the most fulfilling thing going on in life. And so we're going to talk about this idea of the Egypt in me, and we're going to talk about God's promise to deliver the children of Israel from their bondage to the Egyptians. And here's the interesting thing, because you might say, well, they were, they were set free. He, he brought them out. And so, but even because they were brought out, they still oftentimes acted as if they were still stuck in Egypt. Yes, they were brought out physically. Yes, that they were set free physically, but spiritually and emotionally and mentally, they stayed captive for a very long time. And you can find this evidence all through scripture when you see story after story after story of the children of Israel being provided for, oftentimes miraculously by God, only to want to retreat back into bondage, only want to retreat back into slavery. Because the idea was that this was so unknown, there was so much fear that they had become accustomed to being held back. They'd become accustomed to being pressed down by their, by their oppressors. And so that was, became comforting to them. And anything outside of that wasn't normal. But here's, here's what's amazing about this entire journey. And we'll, we'll get to this in just a, a few moments. But there's something that, um, that comes amazingly out of this process that I'll, I'll share with you in a moment. But there's this, this, this problem. Like even if you, so you read through scripture and they're about to inherit the promised land. And Moses says to the people of Israel, he says, what do you want to do? And they say, we want to stay right here. Well, prior to that, when they began to become hungry, they said, you have brought us out of slavery to die. Their mentality and their thought process was, we're, 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 yeah, we're free, but now we're going to die. And even then, God would send manna from heaven and, and food would rain down on the, on the land and they would be able to eat and be full and eat and be provided for. And then, of course, that became not enough because then they would say, well, where is the meat? At least in Egypt, there was some meat. And so this would be a continual thought process. And unfortunately, that thought process would have to run its course in the nation of Israel until they would all die. And then new leadership would take over and they, Joshua would usher them into the presence of God and into the, the land that God had promised them. Because there was this, this mentality that was just stuck in them. But here's what's, here's what's really cool. Years and years and years later, what would take place is there would finally be this coming out party. There'd be this coming out, so to speak, in Israel as a nation would come out. And in the 1940s, this started to really take shape. And in the 1960s, they'd become a nation. And today, they are a powerful, powerful force. Yet they are a very small nation. So there's something that is amazing that takes place when we can finally get to this place of freedom. Finally get to this place where we've been freed and set free from bondage. And when that day comes, beautiful things happen, but also 
difficulty because as now a result of this freedom, Israel is constantly being warred against. Everyone else in the Middle East wants to lay claim to this nation, this property, and this land. And ultimately, many of them want to see Israel as a nation destroyed. Now, I'm about to say some things that might bring some frustration upon some of you. And with that, I will bring my humble apologies. But this is truth, and truth is what it is. That the same thing has happened over many different cultures in our world. Slavery has existed in this world for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years and have affected so many different cultures and generations. And even in our nation, it has been a great effect. Hence, part of the reason why a lot of systems and structures are designed to keep the African-American family down, keep them suppressed. But there's this coming out that is taking place. And while you can look also at media, and media makes a lot of things look a whole lot worse than it is, but there is this coming out that is taking place in our nation. There's this rising up that is taking place in our nation, and that a lot of people have fear because of it. But the reality is, God is already doing something, and He is bringing some freedoms, and He is bringing, He is doing some things internally without getting into too much of too much depth of what God is doing in this area. But the, pro, the, the big issue and the big challenge is there's a coming out that is coming. There is a, there's a freedom that is coming out. And, and with that comes a whole lot of celebration, but then comes a lot more condemnation. And so we have to, as the body of Christ, both culturally as well as spiritually, be set free and delivered from this mentality of being a slave to sin. And so if we don't, if we don't walk this journey, then what, here's what will happen. Every single day, we will think, why me? Every single day, God, why is all this happening to me? Why am I struggling the way that I am? And then five years from now, you're in church and you're serving and you're doing these things and you're gonna say, God, why is this happening? Why me? And all these things that have been de- going through inside of you that we're not dealing with are gonna constantly come out and constantly keep you right where you are without ever a accomplishing the things that God has called you to accomplish because we become slaves to sin and we and because of that slavery to sin we are in that mentality that says this is all I can do and then woe is me man what's going on why me why me there has to be this breakthrough that takes place and that's the sipping from that cup called deliverance so here's the question today here, the question is, and I, always, I try to ask this question. I never ask it in, in the message on Sunday mornings, but I ask myself this when I prepare every message that I prepare. I ask, so who is this message for today? And so for today, I'm going to actually answer that question out loud. <clears throat> and here's what I've come up with. This message today is for anyone still struggling with their sinful nature. Am I the only one that fits into that category? Okay, good. I'm glad. Glad to hear that, because this would have made this, this message even more difficult, if so. It's also for people whose pasts keep limiting their future. We allow our past to limit our future. Deliverance is different from salvation. Salvation takes care of your eternity. Deliverance determines your quality of life while you're still here on earth. 
If you, it's, it's, it's the same reason some people pick up their families and move to different climate patterns because it's, it extends and, and gives a better quality of life for that person to live in that climate pattern. That's what deliverance actually is. It, it's about the quality of life you have while you're here. The first cup is instantaneous. Salvation takes place the moment you confess Jesus, but confess with your mouth, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you are saved. Simple, done. But deliverance is a process. The first cup is all God. It's the free gift. It stands alone. It needs nothing else. It's unique. It's grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So if your thought process is, I've just got to be good, let me help you out. Jesus himself said he wasn't good. And if that man lived perfect and wouldn't consider himself good, I'll just leave that right there. So the first cup is grace. The second cup works that grace out. That's what deliverance is. It's working out your salvation. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 says it like this. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We can't do what pleases God without having been brought out and then set free from this, the mindset that we have of sin. But there are steps that we have to take. And how does this work? We are, understand that we are created as what I will call a triune being. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. Your body is what's physical, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your spirit is a part of us that is the closest, the only thing like God. That's why upon salvation, our spirit is made perfect, and it's with him. But it's our body and our soul that has to continue to be made perfect. I've preached this, I've said this, and I'll say it until I die. You know, when we give saved, our spirit is made perfect. It's like I said about cup one, it's instantaneous, it's perfect in spirit. Your natural man, however, needs some work. It's like the rest of us, the rest of you has to catch up to what God's already done. Have you ever heard anybody say when they've prayed, you know, you got to praise God and thank God for what he is doing and thank him for what will be before it ever actually is, right? You can, I, I can speak all day long that I, I want my, I want to glorify God with whatever gifts he's given me. I want to honor him with whatever gifts he's given me and I want him to cultivate that gift that's in me and God, I want that to be a, an amazing thing that draws people into your kingdom, but how many know that's my speaking something that may not necessarily be the way it's supposed to be just yet. But I got to praise him for it and I got to speak about it because it'll never ever come to pass until you have actually spoken it. 
Because oftentimes, that's why, why do you think in worship I say, you open your mouth and cry out to God. You have children in here, right? Grandchildren, children. How many times have they come up to you wanting something and they're not using words to tell you what it is? And what do you say? Use your words. That's what we have to tell our children. I remember when my kids were really young, it's not so much now. Now I wish they'd use less words, if I'm being honest. Like, seriously, just stop talking for five seconds. But the reality is, now they're using them. But when they're little, it's like, no, what do you need? My youngest is the most famous for it. What's going on, Leah? What do you need? I can't help you if you don't tell me. And then I'll ask her a question. Is your stomach hurt? Does your knee hurt? (laughs) What's going on? Nothing. No words. No nothing. Now the words come with drama. Whole another story and time frame. But we have to use our words to speak life and speak even the situation. You know, you want to be set free from sin. Maybe whatever that is. Maybe, you know, maybe you've been dealing with, you've been smoking for so long. You just can't quit smoking, but you need to be set free from it because guess what? It's killing you. Sometimes you just got to speak it. You got to speak it into existence. And maybe and that, that's, that's, like, that's a physical trait, but let's talk about the mental and the emotional. Sometimes we, we seriously need some mental and emotional health. And sometimes you just got to, when something comes against you, you just got to go, well, eh, wait a minute. You know what? That's, that's, that's not who God says that I am. That's not what my Savior says about me. We have to use our words and we have to speak these things. You know, it's, it's kind of like the idea, this whole process of deliverance is kind of like a baby. It's fully alive, but has a lot of growing to do. It's got breath, it's got, every, it's got everything it needs to live, but it's got a whole lot of growing to do. And so you have to allow God to do the work in you. So in order for us to walk in this deliverance that God is promising us, we have to deal with yesterday. That's the Egypt in us. We have to deal with yesterday. These are areas that have kept us trapped. These are areas that keep us from seeing the great and great future that God has for us. And usually it's found in one of three areas. And I'm going to give you these three areas this morning. It's usually, your, your yesterday is usually found in one of these three areas. Number one, it's in victory over sin. Very simple, very basic. It's in your notes. Fill in the blanks if you want to fit, track with us. It's in victory over sin. Simply defined as the choices you make and what you do to yourself. These are habits, addictions, attitudes. You know, sometimes when we think about our salvation or we think about our choices and we oftentimes preface them by saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as. I don't care whose name you put in that blank, but it's somebody you're thinking about. Or at least I didn't do and pick a choice. How many know the attitude is just as bad as the addiction? Oh, man. No way. Nobody's shouting that down. Because we, we put our sin on levels to suggest, well, if I'm just sitting these, these little bitty sins, they're no big deal. I'm not killing anyone. I'm not robbing anyone. I'm not doing these things. I'm just dealing with these things. So let me tell you, let me help you out real quick. 
These little itty bitty sins are just the same as any other sin. Because a sin is a sin. It regard, now the consequences of that sin, eh, well, that's a whole different story. Some of these little bitty sins might not get me, get me locked up, but some of these big ones will. But the reality is a sin is the sin to God. It's no different. So let's not look at what other people do and say, well, at least I'm not like that. Because I would actually suggest you might have just sinned more than that person. That's another story. Let's keep moving. <clears throat> but we need victory. This, this area usually is, it talks about how discouraging sin can actually be in our lives. Because you know you shouldn't have done it. And you know you want help for it. But you don't feel like you can let anyone know because with sin comes shame. And when there's shame, we begin hiding everything. Am I, am I the only one that's walked this process? Let me just tell you a real, I, I'm just going to give you a, 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 a PG version of one of my shameful walks. Way, 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 way back, the beginning of my, my, my walk with Christ Two things that were my dif most difficult things to get rid of. My language and my smoking. Now the language eventually would run its course and wouldn't become a problem anymore. Habit would take care of that. But the smoking thing, man, that just tore me up. And let me tell you, I lied about it all the time. And I thought I was getting away with it. And sometimes I think I did, and other times I didn't. I actually worked in an environment where everybody around me smoked, so it was really easy to come home smelling like smoke. So I kind of played my environment. I played some people and did some things that I shouldn't do. And, and I, I'm one of these people that you got to really grab my attention sometimes to really get it. I mean, I could literally be standing in the room next to you, and you could be talking to me. And if my focus is on anything else, I'm, not gonna hear, I'm literally not going to hear a thing you just said. I'm working on it every day. My, my, my family helps me. Say it again, you'll hear. Michael. What? I heard. That's kind of how God gets our attention with that, that voice. It's like that something just changes your focus. Like, ooh. And that's kind of what happened to me with my smoking thing. I was in church one, 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 it was a Sunday evening, it was like a, 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 a local um, evangelist was preaching and he had this prophetic gift upon him and, and I was worshiping and, and I kept on worshiping while lying, you know, just like the rest of y'all. And so I was worshiping and I was loving Jesus and at the end of service, the conviction of my sin was still in there. So I come running to the altar and, I, and I'm giving my life to Jesus for the 479,000th time. Because I, I, I didn't really understand that concept of, of salvation too well in the beginning. Anybody else do that in the beginning? But uh, so I give my life to Jesus. I'm standing there and this guy comes and he puts his hands on me and he begins to pray, uh, pray and he begins to speak some things into my life. And then he says, do you have one of the serious, one serious nasty habits that you've been lying to everyone about? This man don't know me, don't know nothing about me had never met me. I had never met him. That's fact. This is the first time I'd ever walked into that church. So then nobody know me, but this is what he says to me. And I'm humbled and I'm broken and I'm crying because God is doing something in me. And I'm, I'm feeling this amazing moment. Like, oh my God, God has set me free from smoking again. 
Because how many know I, I chased that down multiple times, right? And so then here's what happens. I stand up, wipe the tears from my eyes. I turn around and, oh, my Lord, there's my wife, all my friends, people I've been doing life with and lying to all this time. And I'm like, shame just sets in. So in that moment, I can actually continue to hide everything because, you know, shame has set in. I don't want, unfortunately for me, it was public because dude did it on a microphone. I think that's part of my getting my attention. Sometimes a private moment doesn't do it. You just got to take the microphone and say something. I don't advocate for that. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that, that those kind of corrective moments should be done publicly. But then again, I'm different from most people. So, but there's this, there was this shame that set in that, I've got a choice now. I can be honest and real and walk through this issue or I can allow shame to keep me in bondage. I'd never smoke another cigarette again. But there's victory over your sin, but you have to recognize that there is a victory that is needed in that sin because the devil will torment you. He will accuse you. And then he'll say things like this. Who do you think you are? You get up there and speak to somebody. You walk to work and you tell them all about the love of God in your life, but you, you're over here secretly doing this. Or how many times have we heard about pastors having these epic moral failures and they'll stand up at the pulpit and they will shout to you all that you're not doing to, to follow the kingdom of God and what you need to be doing to be getting rid of sin in their life while they themselves are walking out the sin in their life with no desire to change. There's a difference in being sin in sin and there's a difference in being in, in, in willfully sinning. You understand the difference, right? I made a mistake versus yeah, I made a mistake, but I really don't care to change. Are you sorry because you got caught? Are you actually sorry? There's a difference between the two. And there's the same thing with God. The Apostle Paul had the same issue in Romans chapter 7, 21 through 25. He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. What he's saying is that, that even though what I love to do is worship God and serve God, I still sin. What I hate is what happens. What I love sometimes is overshadowed by what we hate. So many, many, many of us, I believe, need to take these steps of victory once and for all. To be able to have that moment that in spite of shame, you can say, I never smoked again. Whatever that is for you. Number two, we usually find it in healing from old wounds. <clears throat> Healing from wounds. Simply define this as, a, as negative things that have happened to me. Some of them because of choices and decisions that I've made. Others from what others have done to you. Not, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about what's not your fault. Rejection is not your fault. 
divorce. Although the, 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 the systematic process of divorce might be your fault, but the way you feel from your divorce Negative experiences in church and in family, tragedies, the loss of a loved one, words that people have spoken to you, things that they have done physically to you. These are things that are not your fault, yet they are wounds inside nonetheless. And wounds need to be healed. Because if wounds are not healed, they become infectious. And then they spread And if that wound isn't healed inside, it's going to spread to the rest of what's inside. And then you are going to have a form of Christianity, but no real power from God. There needs to be a healing from wounds. See, here's the devil, though. He's looking for this foothold. He's looking for this place that opens the door to him where he can continually remind you of what you really are in his eyes. Because he uses things like rejection to say things like, you know what, even your mama didn't want you. Or your daddy didn't want you. That's why no other man really wants you. And even the one that you have, he doesn't really want you. That's how the enemy talks to you. And it works because there's this wound inside. I won't even get into my own personal story, but I had to deal. And here's the thing. Let me help you because if you don't deal with these wounds on your own terms, God's going to have you deal with them on his terms. And let me tell you, sometimes God's terms of dealing with them, they cause much, much more pain than was necessary for you to experience. I was that guy that had to deal with it on God's terms. I had something broken inside. I had a wound inside that I wasn't dealing with. And I was, I'm talking, I'm living my life for, 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 with Christ. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm a pastor. And there's things I wasn't dealing with that God said, okay, fine. You're not going to deal with them. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to stick you in this position with these people who that's all it's going to do is constantly bring this wound up. And unless you deal with it, you're never going to be what I've called you to be. And so I'd have to go through that process. Thank God that 14 years ago, I had that process. I went through that process with that particular wound. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, the Bible says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger is what gives him a spot. Anger is what gives him his place, his door, his opening. And when you start to talk about old wounds... We start talking about, I mean, think about it. How many of you have the ability to talk about an old wound without getting angry? You can't. Whether someone's mistreated you on the job, in your house, as a child, as an adult, anything. As they, if they, it's a wound that once it comes up, it's like, whoo, I'm about to punch somebody in their mouth. That's the foothold. Now that door is open. The devil has come in. Now there's your influence. These are wounds that we have to be healed from us. The pain of the past is limiting your future. Even if you don't recognize it, even if you don't see it, in a day-to-day walk, you may not see it, but it's very real. A third way that, that we usually need to see victory in, or we usually need to see 
something take place in, in order for us to be set free is by taking authority over the enemy. By taking authority over the enemy, simply defined it as, a, as the plan that the enemy has for you. What the devil wants, see, we always talk about the plans that God has for you. Great are the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you hope in a future. But let me help you out and understand something. God, the devil has a plan for you too. He absolutely has a plan for your life. And many of us are trapped in our problems and our past and our sins and our issues, not for any reason except that the enemy is trying to keep us there because he has a plan for your life. His plan is that you have no impact on anyone else's life. That's his plan. And whether you like it or not, you have an enemy. All throughout scripture, the devil has been moving and working, so we need to be alert. But here's the great thing. God has given you authority over that enemy. You got to learn how to use it. He gave you this whole process. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the first part of that process in Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> I'm not going to get detail into this because it's a whole other message and I've only got a few more minutes left. But in Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 10, the Bible says, this is Paul's writing. He says, a final word. This is kind of like I'm saving the best for last kind of moment, okay? All the teaching that he gave in Ephesians, he said, I'm saving the best for last. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. See, the devil has strategies, church. The enemy has strategies. He has plans. He has, he has devised these strategies and plans in an effort to keep you from being an impact in anyone's life, including your own family. And he goes on to say, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He would then map out the rest of that to teach you how to put down that armor and how to fight that battle. But some of us, I believe we need this promise from God. We need to be able to drink from this cup of deliverance and understand who we have on our side fighting our battle and how we are to overcome that enemy. My prayer for every one of you is that the moment your eyes open in the morning, the devil starts to quake. And then the moment you spin out of your bed and your feet hit the ground, he starts to devise plans to disrupt your day. Because he knows that you are dangerous. He knows that there is something that God's called you to do to change the life of somebody around you. Maybe someone you've met. Maybe someone you have never met. But there is a plan that God has for you that the devil should quake the moment you wake up. To say, oh my gosh. He woke up. My Lord, she got out of bed. The devil should quake at those moments in your life. See, we all try to drink from this cup of restoration and fulfillment without ever being delivered, without ever being set free. And many of us are standing here and sitting here right now needing to be set free from something, something that's keeping us from accomplishing what the enemy is scared of. 
His desire is for you to spend the rest of your life looking in a rearview mirror. Always plagued by the problems of yesterday. But understand this. You drank from the first cup where you've dedicated your life to Christ. And Paul said in Romans 8, so now there is no condemnation for those that belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I don't care what anybody says about who you once were, because who you once were is not who God made you to be. Don't let condemnation keep you from accomplishing what God has for you. We all have issues. And for most of us, our issues have issues. Don't let that keep you from accomplishing what God has for you. Don't let that keep you from singing on a praise team or playing an instrument for him. Don't let them te- that keep you from teaching young kids how to live their life out for Christ. What, simply because you've got some issues? Welcome to the world. My name is Mike Womer. I'm the lead pastor at Relevant Faith Church, and my issues got issues. Should I not be preaching just because I got issues? You didn't hear that because it was quiet up front. And what did he say? He said, preach more. Whew, that'll preach right there. I got to move. Last thing I want to do, worship team, you can come and get set, please. I want to take a moment, like I like to do in a lot of messages, is figure out how to make this practical. But before I do, I'd be remiss if I skipped this passage of scripture. We talked about not being, no, there's no condemnation. But there is a secret to overcoming. And it's found in Romans 8, 5, and 6. Those who are dominated by their sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. In every one of those moments, you think, God, you've got this. It's important to have new influences in your life, influences that help build you up. Old influences, eh, some of y'all got to let some people go. Got to let them go. Because the influence is doing nothing but tearing you down. Got to let them go. I'm not saying don't love them. Not saying don't care about them. Just saying don't let them be this loud voice in your ear that controls what you do and what you think and what you say and feeds that negativity. Because here's how you make it practical. Relationships are the key. Relationships are the key to your deliverance. Relationships are the key to being set free. I mean, think about it. If you have an issue, how do you want to deal with it? Do you want... To deal with it in a public meeting? I mean, how many of you would love to come up here right now, take the microphone, and just begin to tell everyone in this room your issues? Nobody wants to deal with it publicly. You want to get at the microphone and tell everybody other pro- uh, someone else's issues. That's what Facebook is. It just is. But relationships are the key to all of this. 
It's in the safety of people we know and people we trust that we can be set free. So what do we do in these relationships? First is find a good one. Not just any relationship will do, I promise you. Find a good one. And then here's the, here's the hard part. Ready? Get honest. You can't overcome anything if you're not honest. I know I have issues. I talk to people about my issues. When my issues become a problem for me, I talk to people more about my issues. So you get honest and confess. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, the Bible says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Prosperity connected to confession. Wow. We wonder why we are so beat down and and we're struggling in life. Well, because prosperity is connected to confession. And some say, well, I thought I was only supposed to confess to God. Yeah, you do. You confess to God and you receive forgiveness. It's real simple. You failed. You confess. Where's it at? Put it up there. Confess to God and receive forgiveness. You confess to God. You receive forgiveness. First John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Boom, we've been forgiven. Oh, but there's another process. You confess to one another, you receive healing. It's not just enough to be forgiven. Forgiven, it takes care of eternity. Again, we're talking about the quality of life while you're here, right? Confess to one another and receive healing. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's the earnest prayer of a righteous person that has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer. I like the old King James. It says, the fervency of prayer. It's what accomplishes great things. And since relationships are the key, the challenge now is get in a good relationship. First one being with your Savior, Jesus. That's the first relationship that we have to enter into. And I never take it for granted to suggest that every single person in this room has entered into that relationship with Jesus. And no, I don't mean somebody one time preached a message and, and you, return, you recited a prayer that doesn't even exist in Scripture. And it's a fine prayer, but it's not, that's not what salvation is. Salvation is, I'm, I'm, I'm before my God. I'm humble. I'm broken. Please, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. This is your words, not mine. That relationship... That's the most important relationship. And then from there, you get into relationships with one another. You find people that are flawed and broken just like you and say, can we, can we walk through life together? We do some of that in the context of an exchange group. That's why we have them because it's a place we do life together. But even outside of that, just that one-to-one time, where you're mentoring over a cup of coffee or you need to get deeper than you find a place where the two of you can do battle together on your knees. 
That's the kind of relationships that will bring deliverance. It's intentional, church. You have got to walk through this process if you ever want to be restored and if you ever want to live a fulfilled life. Jesus said, I have come, that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have life to the full or have an abundance of life. Fulfillment is what we all want because fulfillment is what brings peace. It's what brings joy. It's what gets me out of bed in the morning to say, whoo, praise God, I'm awake today. When's the last time you rolled out of bed and said, praise God that I'm awake today? Instead of saying, oh my gosh, I got to get up today. Let me hit that snooze for the 15th time because Lord knows I don't want to get out of this bed. And I get that there's a tiredness and there's a, str- there's a stress to life and I get that. But I'm talking in spite of all of that. Can we get up this morning? Can we get up in the morning and say, praise God, I'm out of bed today. Some of our challenge to being praising God and I'm out of bed today is how we went to sleep that night. But I'll leave that one alone. If you spent the night in the bar until 2 a.m. and then one, of course you're probably not going to praise God for getting out of bed today. That's a whole nother sermon and a whole nother time. But there is a God who desires for you to be restored and fulfilled. But in order to find that restoration and that fulfillment, you must first be set free.